We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back, BuzzBeat listeners, Charlotte Hornets fans. Uh, I am your host, Spencer Percy, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Richie Handles Randall. Richie, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. Uh, we just got through watching the Hornets uh, you know, take down the Thunder, which was a very surprising win, uh, considering they got an MVP candidate over there with Russell Westbrook. Uh, but how, how are you doing, Spencer? I can't complain. I can't believe this team right now. <laughs> just when... We were well, Richie. We we've been ready to like kind of pack this season in for what a few weeks now, yeah. if not a month. And all of a sudden, here they go, win seven of nine. Uh, what is it? Three straight, four straight, and all three. of a sudden they're thirty six and forty one. Three straight, back in the hunt. I mean, if they get a few things to fall their way later today, uh, which we'll talk about later. I mean, the Hornets are a game back potentially of the eight seed, which is pretty hard to fathom for me. But you know, it's just it's a testament to Clifford. It's a testament to the group. Um, of guys in that locker room, they just have not quit, and they are really, really playing good uh, at this current moment. But um, so with us today, we have a very, very special guest that I'm going to give an opportunity to uh, to kind of introduce himself here in a second. But it is uh, Max Singh. Uh, Max is uh, writes for HoopsHabit.com. He covers the Hornets uh, most of the time. Also dabbles in some uh, Oklahoma City Thunder coverage, um, and he also writes over at 16. Uh, windsaring.com. Um, so we, we will get to him here in a second. But uh, don't forget that we are a member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. And please go and check out all the awesome shows over at almightyballer.com. Um, thinking it's going to happen this week, but we mentioned last uh, last show, I guess, that uh, Dash Radio, we are going to be a uh, really their first sports station. Uh, the Almighty Baller Podcast Network will be really the first sports uh, sports station on Dash Radio. So be on the lookout for that. That will probably debut uh, this coming week. So we are extremely excited about that. But uh, with no further ado, Max, how are you, my friend? And thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, 
previous listeners. So it's fun to be on. Always fun talking Hornets. Awesome. So, Max, before we get uh, started, and I'll, I'll kind of give you the opportunity at the end as well, but tell folks where they can read your stuff online, find you on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, hoopshabit.com. Um, Spencer said I cover the Hornets and the Thunder. So this was a fun game to watch today. Um, and then over at 16 Wins a Ring, I cover the uh, Hornets as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at Max A. Seng. I'm always trying to pump out content and give a different perspective from the usual stuff. So, um, yeah, at Max A. Seng on Twitter is where I put out all my stuff. So, Max, let's start with today. I know you follow both these teams very closely, Hornets and the Thunder. What was your number one takeaway from the game today? I, I, have, I have a lot of notes from this game. Um, that really, I feel like if you summarize all these notes, it should just say extremely surprised uh, in, in one sentence. But what is the one thing that you took away from today? Um, you know, because you follow both these teams really closely. It was a it was a surprising result, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted out at the beginning of the game the key is going to be if Charlotte can stop Oklahoma City in the open court. If they can stop them from getting out, you know, Russell Westbrook likes to grab the rebound and go. Um, and they were able to do that for most of the game. At the beginning, I think, you know, they were uh, – Oklahoma City was getting shots early in the shot clock, and they were getting open shots. And so that was really – when the game was opened up the most, but Charlotte was able to uh, keep them off the offensive glass, which is another thing that OKC likes to do. And OKC is also the seventh best team at home, and the Hornets have a pretty middling road record this year. So as you said, I mean, it was a surprise, but a pleasant one at that, certainly, because Charlotte's more my primary beat. But um, biggest takeaway, too, was uh, OKC had a season-high 23 turnovers. Um, I'm sure that's something that we'll be talking about and that's something that Charlotte's been able to do a lot, which is get their hands on balls, get deflections. And I, I know that's something that Coach Cliff stresses. So, you know, not letting Oklahoma City get in the open court, containing Westbrook as much as they can, and then forcing turnovers. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that the turnovers for OKC, you know, really allowed Charlotte to get their flow in this game. Uh, and, and just, well, really, for Oklahoma City, it never allowed them to get into a flow I felt like every single time that they something good happened for them, or they you know they got a big bucket or a big stop, they kind of shot themselves in the foot. Richie, what did you take away from this game today? I, again, I was I was really surprised to see OKC play like this, just because they have as much to play for as Charlotte does right now. But this was really not a very competitive game when you go back and watch it. Yeah, I mean, in addition to everything that Max said, I think we got to give credit to our bench. I think that Marco Bellinelli played well early on. Uh, but really, it was mostly Kaminsky and Lamb uh, throughout the whole game. And that's kind of been a common theme lately with our success. It, you know, it kind of goes with our bench's success. If they play well and they can either maintain a lead or, or grow that lead when the starters are out, the Charlotte Hornets play well overall. And, you know, we've talked about this. Kaminsky is getting hot lately, and especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, he, we saw that again today. And then Jeremy Lamb. I believe he's had eight points in the fourth quarter. So I think we do have to give it up to the bench play. And then one more thing that I want to add. I mean, you can look at the box score and you'll see that Russ had a triple-double, his first against the uh, the Hornets. But MKG, I thought, played very well on the defensive end, regardless of what the stats say coming from uh, Westbrook. And he was the one that was guarding Westbrook, I would say, the majority of the time, if not all the time. No, I agree with you. I thought MKG played very well. He was engaged offensively in that first half, which is always, you know, obviously a great sign for him. But let's stay on the Jeremy Lamb thing for a minute. Um, you know, Max 
probably knows Jeremy Lamb from OKC, and now you know with his time for the Hornets. But that guy's been unbelievable here in the past three games, and really he's the reason. I know Bellinelli's had some really good games for the bench unit uh, recently, but Jeremy Lamb's play and his ability to run the second unit uh, and, and kind of turn into that kind of quasi creator um, slash just be really confident. Uh, in hunting his shot at the end of the shot clock, to me, he's the reason the second unit has come to life here in the past few weeks. Richie, I, I want to get your thoughts on Lamb first, just because I know we've had numerous conversations about him, and he's kind of like Kaminsky in the sense that I'm just torn about what he is, what he can become, but this guy we've seen here in the past two weeks has just been phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, he is inconsistent in that sense, like Kaminsky. You just never know what you're going to get from him, but recently both of those players have been playing well. Lamb brings a different aspect to the game that not a lot of our players have. I mean, he, he can create off the dribble, and especially in that mid-range game, uh, he does very well from the elbows, and we saw that again today. And he also does a very good job of getting to the rim. So all of these things he's putting together, and we've we've seen his success translate over to the to the Hornet success as well. Again, you know, I wrote that piece earlier in the year at QCH about his emergence and I think that you know our, our success kind of correlates with his. So we'll see if this continues for the last five games, and we're going to need it to, especially from the whole bench, for us to push for that eighth seed. Yeah, so in Max, so Lamb next year comes up on on a contract year. Um, you know, the Hornets kind of you know, swing for the fences, but, you know, throwing him a $20 million deal, you know, a few seasons ago, certainly raised some eyebrows. Um, it looks like he's been worth that deal, Here's the the first question I want to ask you is this: What is Lamb's ceiling? And the second question is: Is he a shoe in for the Hornets to resign, or at least a shoe in that they should try to resign him? I mean, I think he's always been one of those guys that has a tremendous upside. He was a lottery pick a number of years ago, and he was one of the main pieces in that Harden trade that sent Harden to Houston. Uh, one of the biggest sort of pieces for that deal. And, I mean, you could still see, you know, on nights like tonight, he had 11 or 13 points in 11 minutes, was plus 10. Um, you know, and like both of you guys said, he's one of the few guys on the roster that can, can actually create his own shot, can play make for others. And even though he doesn't shoot it that well, the allure is pretty obvious when you watch him play and he's engaged and he has nights like tonight. So is he a shoe-in for the Hornets roster once his contract expires? I'm not sure. But if he keeps playing like this, he'll get more minutes, and I think it'll become a no-brainer. Yeah, I just I, I I'm, I've always been really fascinated with Lamb because he he is not a one trick pony. You know, I know he's the kind of guy who's looking for a shot, yeah, you know, a volume shooter, I guess. Um, I mean, he he should be on the floor to score the basketball, which is exactly the role he plays for the Hornets. But he's also a really really good rebounding guard. When he commits defensively, his length allows him to affect you know a lot of different plays, and it allows him to guard a few different positions. So. You know, I, I kind of feel like this guy we've seen recently is the Jeremy Lamb that, you know, Max, to your point, the, the reason he was a, you know, a lottery pick for the Oklahoma City Thunder and the reason that he got a chance, you know, with that team like he did. And let's see, was he was he on the national championship team with Kemba? He was, was he not? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, I think he was younger, but yeah. Yeah, he was younger than Kemba, but he was on that team. I mean, I just feel like we're seeing the guy that 
this is what he should be. This is what he could become. I, I kind of feel like here recently, in this season in spurts, we've seen a Jeremy Lamb that the league has has not seen yet. Uh, so really a good sign for him and a good sign for the Hornets, you know, and should earn him more and more minutes. Uh, he's still right around that 15 minutes, you know, a game mark. But I can't imagine that Clifford doesn't turn to him more down the stretch. Um, you know, all of a sudden as he's gone away from Bronte Weber and, and back to Brian Roberts. But uh, but he's running the second unit right now offensively. And I don't mind this change to Roberts. I, got, I think that happened maybe the Milwaukee game where that, that switch happened from Weber to Roberts. You know, like you said, we need a second unit creator, and we're going to get that out of Lamb. But at least Roberts can bring that aspect too because Weber is not necessarily a creator. He's going to get those baskets that come in an unconventional way for the, you know, the offensive rebounds. He's going to get in there and hustle. He's not necessarily a point guard that's going to get in there and orchestrate things on the offensive end. So I, I don't mind the change from Clifford. Uh, but like you said, we can always lean on Lamb too as well to kind of get things going as far as a playmaking ability from that second unit. No doubt about it. And the second unit has been so, so good. Let's just stay on that topic for a second. They've been so good in this recent winning streak for the Hornets. Kind of out of nowhere, too. I mean, uh, you know, the second unit was really where dreams went to die for Charlotte, you know, for the better part of the season that they just could not sustain any kind of, you know, success and couldn't keep water out of the boat when Kimba went off the floor. But all of a sudden, I mean, here comes Kaminsky, here comes Lamb, Bellinelli's woken back up. I mean, the second unit, it's just all of a sudden way different. And it's just funny how this stuff works. But Max, I want to ask you, what what is it about the second unit that all of a sudden, I mean, the team's just different. They're scoring 50 points a game and they're, they're, you know, they're just taking so much pressure off of Kimba and Batum and Marvin and what's different. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it just comes down to shot making, especially with guys like Frank and Jeremy. Those are guys that get their energy off of made baskets. I mean, MKG is a guy who gets his energy off of making defensive plays. And it's just about your makeup and sort of how you, you know, get your energy from buckets. And especially just one more thing about Lamb, that this play today uh, where, you know, Westbrook throws a pass to the corner, Lamb gets a hand on the ball goes out and transition and then waits for I think Oladipo and slams down for an and one dunk I mean th- those are those are the upside that's the potential that we're talking about here that he's capable of making and you know maybe a couple months ago when he's in the coach's doghouse and isn't playing as well he doesn't make that play but it seems like making those extra effort I mean even Miles Plumley had good minutes tonight um, so it's just it comes down to I think shot making and then confidence which is so important in the game of basketball at any level yeah I I, I mean you're definitely right that this is a team that they need to see shots go in. They just don't they don't overcome an offensive struggle very well. And, and you know, it, it feels like watching this team from a you know aesthetic you know standpoint is that that's really what bit them the most is that when they were struggling offensively during that losing streak that seemed to last forever. You know, they're for most of the season is if they didn't see shots go in, it's like everything crumbled around them. And now, you know, shots are going in early. The bench is coming in. Bellinelli's hitting shots. You know, Kaminsky's seeing a big bucket. Um, you know, Lamb's running the second unit. And all of a sudden, defensively, they're they're a different team. So it's it's been interesting and fun to watch. Richie, anything you see um, that, that has been different for the second unit? I mean, not a whole lot. Like Max said, it, it does come down to the shot-making ability. And, and like you were just stating, 
we can't overcome, you know, offensive deficiencies from that second unit because as individuals, that second unit is pretty bad uh, on the defensive end. That's kind of why they plugged in Marvin and MKG throughout the year to kind of hold that end up. But their their offense translates to defense, and if, if they continue to make these shots from Frank, I, I think that they're going to, you know, get more energy on that, that defensive end. And I think we can all agree that if the bench doesn't play well for these next five games, I don't think there's any chance that we make the playoffs. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the, the recent success of the team has kind of proven that to be true. It's just that we need that unit to pick us up, um, you know, to, to overcome and, and get the W in the end. But I will say this. There are so many occasions where I'm watching that game today. And I, I mean, the Hornets were so freaking locked in on the defensive end. If they missed a rotation today, I didn't see it, and I and I mean that. I mean they they were so clued in, energetic communication, seeing the ball, seeing their man. It was it was beauty. And Max, you're a coach. I mean, so you understand that kind of stuff and what it takes. You know, being in a stand, seeing your man, seeing the ball. The Hornets were as good today as they've been all season to me. Yeah, and I mean we both. All of us mentioned MKG and how it started with him and his defense on Westbrook. I mean, Westbrook still had 41, but just his energy and being able to get up and down the floor. I said, too, that this was a great game for MKG because you have those athletic thoroughbreds like Oladipo and Westbrook and Roberson and the other end that just want to get up and go. And that's what MKG wants to do. And so right from the beginning, I mean, he was active, hands around. I think he took Westbrook on as a personal challenge. And, I mean, you know, you can measure the success however you want Uh because if you look at the box score, it doesn't look like it. But um, I think it wore Westbrook out enough where you saw where when he's guarding Kemba, he went under a lot of screens. He probably shouldn't have um, was kind of dogging it a little bit on defense. And again, that's because of the load. And that's something that I've watched all year. But I think MKG definitely had something to do with Westbrook being a little bit gassed at the end. I would hand the player of the game to to MKG. I mean, maybe Kemba because of his third quarter performance and how he carried the team throughout. But I mean, he just does not get enough credit for the defensive end that, you know, we've seen today against OKC. But again, if you look at the box score, you're not going to see it. But if you watch the game, you, you can see the energy that he brought. Yeah, and here's the other thing about Oklahoma City. I mean, I, I, mean, I agree with you both. I mean, Michael K. You know, Gilker's had a great game, all right? And he, he did well defensively, and we already talked about, you know, what he did on the offensive end. But, you know, this is just a, re- this is a good matchup for Charlotte. I know they haven't won. A, that was maybe the first time they won an OKC in forever or however long it was. But, you know, OKC can't shoot the ball from outside. They're just not a good outside shooting team. Everyone knows that. Charlotte's already a team that is prone to overhelp, cut off the lane. So this just felt like as you watched the game and you watched everything progress, it felt like a good matchup for the Hornets when Oklahoma City – you know they couldn't throw it in the ocean for most of that game. They made some threes late, and but it, it was just a good matchup for Charlotte because they're are again they're already prone to overhelp, um, you know. And I thought they just took away everything from Oklahoma City that they make a living off of. And yes, Westbrook has forty, but I, I mean I hope you guys agree. Life was not easy for him today. I mean, seven of his fourteen made field goals are from behind the arc. He didn't really get, he didn't get anything hardly in transition. And anything that he got inside the arc was it, was, it was tough living. Of course, yeah. And I think that we got three games going on right now as we speak. This was a huge win for the Hornets to take one at OKC, which is something that we haven't done in forever. But three games currently going on right now uh, that Hornets fans need to keep their eyes on. 
because it's going to have playoff implications down the line. So big win for us today, and the possibility of us making the playoffs kind of hinges on the next couple of games, and especially today, there's three 6 o'clock games uh, with teams right around us. Is Charlotte going to find their way into the playoffs? They're going to tease us to the end. I can tell you that much. Uh, we're going to be watching this to the last game to see if we can make it. I would say, you know, if I had to put a percentage on it, if we're going to make the playoffs or not, I would put it, I don't know, 35 to 40 percent. You know, not, you know, not 50, not, not above 50, because we still got some room to make up. And I don't know the tiebreaker situation. I guess I got to know more about that to see kind of where we fall with that. But, I mean, we're going to push for it till the end. I can see us making the playoffs, and I don't really mind if we do at this point. Because I think our draft position is going to be the same regardless. You know, if we, if we lose the next, you know, five games, we'll probably hang around the same draft position. So let's just keep going for it. I, I see maybe a 40% chance that we actually do. So Miami, so the Hornets will have the tiebreaker with Miami if they beat them on Wednesday night in Charlotte. Okay. That would make it 3-1 the season. Um, they have, they split the series with uh, Indiana, 2-2. Two and two. But they have the tiebreaker with Indiana because they're going to have the better division record. Um, so, you know, I should have done – I should have looked up what our situation is with Chicago before this. I'm not sure on that one. But I've also just been banking on the Bulls being bad, which they've been for most of the season, going away. Of course, they're not going away. But I think I would give the Hornets chances percentage-wise will make the playoffs. I think I would, at this point, I'm ready to say it's 50-50. And a large part of that is because they own two of these tiebreakers. Max, where do you stand? Do you think they're clearly back in this, or do you think this is just full school? Um, I'm going to say 30 35% maybe, just because I know that the Bulls, they showed a graphic during the game today that the Bulls have the easiest schedule for the rest of the year. Um, I'm just looking at their, they play the Pelicans tonight, but after that it's Knicks, Sixers, Nets, Magic, Nets. So two wow. Nets games in there. Sixers and then the Knicks who just lost Derrick Rose and the Magic um so I I completely agree with you the Bulls are a headache to watch and you know Wade's out they're not very wouldn't be very much fun to watch in the playoffs but that strength of schedule is tough to argue with outside of tonight if they win tonight I think it's going to be pretty tough to uh to get over the top of them but you know there's still room that Miami game's huge and uh yeah Miami's game's huge and then also Indiana um, against Cleveland tonight, and then their record going forward. So I'll say 35%, but the, it, the only reason it's so low is just because I think Chicago's pretty much a shoe in now, unfortunately. Yeah, it, Chicago has been gifted an incredible schedule uh, down the stretch here, and it really is a shame because they <laughs> they are the most unwatchable team probably in the league offensively. Uh, I, I would take watching Brooklyn over them any night of the week, but here we are, and, and Chicago's probably going to find their way into the playoffs when this thing is all said and done. Um, guys, I want to want to talk about <laughs> a guy that we've talked about a lot this season. Um, Richie, and, and you're probably as tired uh, as I am of talking about Frank Kaminsky, but he keeps just um, – he, he keeps being inconsistent and, and taking us in this uh, wild goose chase to figure out who he actually is as a player. I want to start with Max here because there's an, there's an unbiased perspective – um, who, who could start us off on a fresh foot. Max, What when you watch Frank Kaminsky play, number one, who is he right now as a player to you? And number two, where do you see his game going as he moves into the future of his NBA career? Um, well, it's tough to say because 
you know, in a vacuum, I think it's a different answer than what it is on this roster right now because, you know, I heard your guys' uh, conversation a few episodes ago about is Frank a four or a five, and that's that's a conversation I've seen on Twitter as well. And I think something that's still probably being had in the Charlotte front office and inside uh, the coaching staff as well. Um, you know, definitely with the way the game is transitioning today where bigs are shooting threes and be, becoming a little more versatile, I think on a lot of other rosters he's a five. But the numbers say, at least this year, uh, this is something that I've done a lot of research on, the numbers say that him at the five, especially with, uh, you know, whether the four is Marvin or they move Batum up or MKG or whoever the case may be, uh, the numbers are just not good in terms of net rating and especially defense. Um, Definitely when he gets that pick and pop game, he scores it well. But the numbers with him and Zeller, uh, they're actually plus 11 net rating with them being minus five and being, I think, a, a 111 defensive rating, which would be you know probably the worst in the league with him and Marvin. Um, so I think that when he's at the four, and you know I, I focused on this today because this was a good a good example because OKC is a more traditional team and they play two traditional bigs. So Frank was able to be on the court with Cody, and so when Frank is the four and he's on the court, he doesn't get put in nearly as many pick and rolls as usual. He didn't have to guard Adams and Cantor and those guys. It was usually Zeller and Plumlee took a couple turns as well. He's usually able to guard the Jeremy Grants, DeMontis Sabonis's, uh, Taj Gibsons, who just aren't being put in as many pick and rolls. And the Hornets have found a way to still get him involved on the perimeter. He's usually spotting up. I, I haven't seen him post up in a few games, and that's probably for the best. But he's able to attack off the dribble off the perimeter. Um, it spaces the floor a little bit better. And him and Cody have actually been a pretty good combination, albeit a small sample size. I think it's about 400 minutes they've played together this year. But um, on other rosters, he's probably a five. But on this roster right now, with the money they have invested in Cody and Marvin and those guys, I think he's a four right now. Richie, I know you probably have yeah. so many things to say about, uh, <laughs> about Kaminsky, so go. No, I mean, everything that he said, I- I'm seeing too. I-, I always thought he was a four because he's a defensive liability as a five uh, for multiple reasons because he can't he can't body the bigger players. And on offense... I see what Max is saying. He, he probably gets a little bit more involved as the pick-and-pop guy with, with the five. And you've said it too, Spencer, because he's going to be more heavily involved in the offense as a five instead of a you know a spot-up shooter as a four. So Kaminsky, you know, this recent play that he's had has been great. I just wish it was more consistent because it hasn't been. This has probably been the you know a crazy up-and-down season for Kaminsky. You know, he's had stretches where he's looked like you know our, our center for the future. And he's looked and he's looked like a twelfth man at times. I mean, he's so inconsistent. But I will say, offensively, he plays better at the five. Defensively, it, he's just a liability out there uh, because those bigger guys will just body him, and, and he just can't keep up with them. So it, it, it's a predicament to have because he's such an ambiguous player in terms of his position. So I, I guess I just don't know what to think of him moving forward. He just needs to be more consistent. And his three point shot has not improved from last year in terms of percentage. And that definitely needs to happen for him to be uh, a real factor on a playoff team. Yeah, I think I'm almost ready to like change course on what position I think Frank Kaminsky needs to play. I mean, I think it's obvious like when he's the five, it, stuff's just it comes to him easier. It gets more open looks. He's involved in the pick and roll more often. I mean, it's just it fits offensively with him at the five. I don't think that's a secret. Now, the other end of the floor. 
I think I'm ready to say that he'll never be able to play five consistently defensively. He's just so bad defensively um, guarding other bigs. I mean, it's I mean, there. I'm ready to say there's no hope for him offensive or defensively as a center in this league. Um, so I think he, if, if he's gonna play 25 ish minutes a game, you know, in this league, then to me, it's gonna have to be at the power forward position uh, for all defensive reasons. Um, but to Max's point, you know, it, it does make. Charlotte's done a good job at finding a way to get him involved still when he's on the floor as a power forward in offense. But it makes things really difficult, especially on the Charlotte team, because, you know, Zeller needs to be setting those picks and needs to be rolling. And it needs to be, you know, the offense needs to be created out of Kimba's hands. And, you know, where does Kaminsky fit into all that? It's very difficult. But the Horns have done a good job. Clifford's been creative in finding ways to get him involved. But, yeah, (laughs) he's impossible to figure out. Uh, especially offensively with the uh, with the inconsistency, but defensively, I just don't ever see Frank Kaminsky being a center. Max, would you would you agree with that, or do you think there's still you know room for him to grow there? No, I I agree with you. I think that especially in those pick and roll coverages. I mean, there was that clip uh, where they played the Cavs the other oh night where gosh. he just he just let Kyrie go right by. Um, and I think I think a lot of times it's it's you know I don't I don't want to criticize too much but it's just mental in terms of the thing we talked about before if he's not making shots uh the other end is going to suffer as well and so because he gets his energy off of making those shots um you know when shots are falling and we've talked about the inconsistency um it spells uh danger for both ends um so and i think it just gets exposed that much more when he's at the five spot and he's getting put in those pick and rolls so much whereas if when he's at the four he can hide a little bit more whether it's you know a Taj gibson or a guy who's spotting up on the on the wing and just a lot more help defense responsibilities. Right. Yeah. And he just, and he just won't get in the stance like defensively. He is incapable of sitting down and getting his arms out and guarding. I mean, he just in the pick and roll straight on the ball, like you name it, it doesn't matter what kind of situation he's in defensively. He will not get in a stance and Clifford. I mean, the other night at home, I don't know, Richie, what was the game right before the Oklahoma city game? Charlotte, who'd they beat the other night? I got having a brain fart. Anyways, it's a pick-and-roll situation. Kaminsky, you know, he always guards him flat. He's really never going to get out and hedge really hard because, I mean, he could barely move on the defensive right. end as it is. Right. So he's sitting low on it and just literally stands right up as soon as the ball turns the corner, which makes it obviously way easier for the ball handler to go right by him. Clifford calls the timeout immediately and screams, sit down, quote-unquote, sit down. He will not get in a stance and uh, – I don't know. I mean, he's he's not in you know a nineteen year old rookie, right? He's not a twenty year old second year guy. I mean, Kaminsky, he, you know, how much time and how much patience teams, um, you know, in this league has for him in his development? There's there's not there's not a lot of time. I mean, he he was a four year guy at Wisconsin. He he's got to get these concepts now, and the fact that you know the, you got to beg this kind of effort uh, and detail out of him. To me, at this point, and how old he is, it's not a good sign, and I and I do not think that there's enough time for him to to mature mentally and, and grow into a better player on that end of the floor. I mean, it's just something as a big you have to understand. Um, and Kaminsky's had enough time in the league now where it feels like he would be more committed on that end. But to get in a stance, Max, as you know, you're a coach again. It's it's kind of just a want to thing, right? Like it's not something you have to learn to do. 
you just got to want to do it. And there's something about Kaminsky. It doesn't appear like he really cares that much on that end. And that's going to be problem problematic for him moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, he's not one of those guys who has a bigger margin for error because he's athletic. He's not DeAndre Jordan. He's not going to be blocking shots into the third row. So he's got to be more like Cody in that he's got to be positionally sound, knowing where the rotations are. And that's just being mentally locked in. And like you said, having that want to factor. Um, And, you know, I mean, like you said, to your point about the age, I mean, he's older than MKG right now, which is a weird thing to think about in NBA years. But, you know, it's, it's part of the uh, four-year plan of college and everything and MKG coming out after one. So, you know, the clock is ticking. Um, and so he just doesn't have that margin for error. So it's it's more a mental thing than anything, I think. If he commits to it and being positionally sound and knowing where he's supposed to be and using his body, using his six foot eleven frame, uh, I think that he can make some progress. Even if he'll never be a great defender, I think he can become better, but it's up to him ultimately. Yeah, he's got room for improvement. But the def- on the defensive side, I think he's bad you know, guarding fours as well. I just think he gets exposed a little bit more at the five because there's no backside help. So Kaminsky, to me, is just a bad all-around defensive player. But, you know, putting him at the five position, he's going to get exposed that much more. So, yes, we're going to try to hide him at the four, defending those fours kind of out on the wing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, you saw Marvin Williams today, how good he was defensively. You know, I think that when Kaminsky has to be out there as a five, I think Marvin has to be with him as a four just because Marvin's so good at weak side help. He's a better shot blocker than you think he, you know, should be, um, you know, especially his age when it appears like he's glued to the floor sometimes. That guy just has great ball instincts defensively. Guy, he had, yeah, he had three block shots today, and all of them seemed to lead to, to runouts and transition opportunities for Charlotte. So, you know, if Kaminsky's going to be out there at five, Marvin has to play with him to me. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just a struggle. It's a struggle watching him play defense, and I guess the whole base of this conversation we've had, I just don't see a a plan for him to get better down there unless he decides like I'm committing to you know to becoming a way better defender, and I just I don't see it out of Kaminsky. Uh, but we will see. He has been excellent here in the past five games. Before today, 13 points a game, five rebounds a game, 42 percent from the floor. Uh, 43% from behind the arc, and that was going into today. And he was good again uh, in Oklahoma City as he finished with 18 points, 5 of 9 from the floor, 3 of 5 from behind the arc. So, I mean, he offensively, he's got it going right now. It's been really, really important for this Hornets run. So I know we're bashing him, but <laughs> he has added some value uh, to what the Hornets are doing right now. Um, all right, Richie, we got a few Twitter questions that I want to go ahead and get to. Uh, do you have those pulled up in front of you? I do. I do. Uh, the first question, Bobcats Buzz at Patrick Connor 7. He asked us a Twitter question last episode. Uh, but the question is, how do you see the series going if we sneak into the playoffs at the 8 seed and matched up against the Celtics, uh, who are right now currently the, the top spot in the East? And I guess I'll start off by saying, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup with Kimba and Thomas. I think that those two always play well together. And to be honest with you, when, when they've played this year, it's kind of been a toss-up as to see you know who's been the better player. Obviously, Thomas just goes off in the fourth quarter. Um, in the three games that he's played against us this year, all three of which we've lost, he's been averaging about 11 points in, that, in the fourth quarter. So I don't think we match up well against Boston. Uh, they have a lot of three-point shooters. They love to shoot the three. Obviously, we allow a lot of three-point attempts. I think it's tops in the league in terms of how many we allow. 
And uh, so, yeah, I, I think that would be an interesting matchup to see Thomas and Walker go head-to-head. But other than that, I don't see it being a favorable matchup for us. Yeah, I would agree. I don't – well, I like the matchup, you know, physically. I think we match up fine with Boston. Um, you know, they like to play a lot of small ball. They're not a great rebounding team. Like, I think there's some things about that matchup with them that um, w- would seem to favor Charlotte. The yeah, but we don't, about the matchup, we don't crash the yeah. offensive boards, though. Well, that's true. But, you know, I mean, Boston struggles on both ends, you know, to, yeah. to, to rebound the basketball. I, it, here's the one thing I don't like about the matchup with Boston is that, again, defensively, we overhelp too much, Richie, which we've talked about a lot. And Boston spreads the floor and they move it and they skip it across the floor as, as well as anybody in the league. And they beat you, um, you know, from downtown. And that's death for Charlotte because they just they're, – they're a step – uh, more in help than I would say 90% of the other teams in the league. And it gets a team like Boston that really shoots it from outside at a high rate. That's uh, that's not good. So uh, uh, that's the part about that matchup that bothers me the most. Now, would I rather play Boston uh, than Cleveland and LeBron James? Absolutely. I, <laughs> I would take uh, I would take my chances there before I had to play LeBron any day of the week. Max, where do you stand on this one? Yeah, I completely agree with you in terms of giving the choice between Boston or Cleveland. Uh, definitely Boston, but I think you know the games will come down to, like Richie said about Isaiah scoring 11 a game against us in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, this is something I wrote about too, which is just the Hornets struggles late in games. That's something that we're all pretty aware of, and that basically that when it comes down to you know basketball in its most pure form which is just my guy against your guy because each team has a guy basically and so our guy is Kemba who is one of the best closers I think in the league but we just haven't done a great job this past year of you know shutting teams down and their primary option late in games now granted the past five games or so we've done a lot better job um, today being the latest example but there's been countless examples this year of us letting one guy or multiple guys get loose late in games we have I think the second to worst, second worst clutch rating defense uh, in the entire league this year. So that's basically games within five points in the last five minutes of games. Um, and so we just haven't been able to lock down defensively. But you know, granted, the last five games or so, we've been able to pick up some momentum, pick up some steam. So you know, I mean, when the playoffs, especially when the games slow down and the margin for error is so small, and you're playing the same team four, five, six, seven games straight. Uh, games are undoubtedly going to come down to that. And so that would be the biggest uh, worry for me is how we execute late in games, both on the defensive end especially, but offensively too in terms of what is our second option other than Kemba uh, would be my biggest concern. Well, let me let me tell you this. Batum, our supposed second option, three games against Boston this year, he's averaging 14 points on 28% field goal percentage. So for us to be competitive in that game – or in that series, uh, he definitely can't be shooting twenty eight percent from the field. No, no doubt about that. Max, let's let's stay on uh, the late game struggles for Charlotte. You wrote about this uh, a piece on sixteen uh, wins a ring called "All Buzz No Sting." Talk about that piece for a minute. What kind of led you to uh, writing that, and really? Break down for us what is the core of Charlotte's issues at the end of games. Yeah, I mean, again, it's all traced back to the defensive end and something that Coach Clifford's talked about a lot, um, especially lately. 
it, it being uh, one of the Hornets' strengths in past years. I think they've been top five in that clutch defensive rating uh, all of Clifford's years before this year, and they're, like I said, next to last in the league. And so, you know, there's a couple games that stick out in my mind particularly. I think you guys will remember, like, the New Orleans Pelicans game where Anthony Davis basically single-handedly shredded us um, late in the game and then the overtime on his 24th birthday where we just simply didn't have an answer. And, I mean, that I think is, you know, those guys, I mean, Anthony Davis probably has a couple MVP awards ahead of him, so that's forgivable. And we just, as great as Kemba is, we just don't have a guy like that. Um, but then also the Detroit Pistons game in late February where Contavious Caldwell-Pope just um, obliterated Batum and just ran him off down screen after down screen and just hit clutch threes and then guarded Kemba on the other end where when it's winning time, you know, we just haven't been able to make those plays. And I think Kemba is having an even better year. We talk so much, we try to compare this year to last year. Um, I think Kemba's having a better year this year than he did last year. I think both the numbers say that and when you watch him, the eye test. But other than that, I mean, especially on the offensive end, we just don't have, we haven't been able to have that many weapons other than Kemba. It's just a high ball screen and then, you know, either gets fouled or takes a step back. And a lot of times those goes in, those go in, but other times they don't. Um, and so we just haven't had those options on the offensive end. We haven't been able to stop guys on the defensive end. Um, and it's just been problematic because of that, I think. Now, granted, in the Toronto game the other night, we saw to ice the game after Kemba got clobbered uh, under the rim. We saw a beautiful extra pass by Batum to Marvin Williams to ice the game. And so that was refreshing to see to somebody else step up and make a shot in a big moment. But other than that, I mean, there was so many you know times where um, this year where we've just had the lead or had an opportunity at the end of games, just haven't been able to close out, which is something that has been uncharacteristic of all the Clifford uh, Charlotte teams. Yeah, it's been, it's been a real struggle. And, you know, you look at Kimba uh, and as great as he is, you know, you just, his size, it, it comes into play late in games. You know, when teams commit two defenders to him, it's, it's just a different story. And the fact that um, the Charlotte just doesn't have anywhere else to turn uh, when that happens really, really, really neutralizes them. Uh, and it's disappointing because, you know, this is a team that I think has an identity. You know, they know what they want to do. They know what they have to do to win games to give themselves a good chance to win. And I, you know, I feel like they've, you know, they've done that for the most part this year. They really have. And, and, and the stats point to that. But there's just not that second guy offensively that really gives them a great chance, you know, to get over the top. And they, they obviously haven't done it enough this season. Max, so on that point, let's talk draft real quickly. I don't know how involved, you know, with the draft, draft prospects and how clued in on that uh, that you are. But if you could pick one ideal player um, that's in that, you know, 7 to 20 range in the draft right now for the Hornets, who would that guy be? I, I know I'd, we didn't you know, talk about this or before the show, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but is there one guy you're looking at and you're like, God, that guy's just perfect for the Hornets. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, I didn't watch a ton of regular season college basketball because I was so entrenched in um, my own uh, coaching in division two, but uh, definitely watched a lot of the tournament and I've heard, you know, people on Twitter and what their suggestions are and different things. And I've tried to carve out some time to watch some of the prospects that people have offered up. And I think, especially in that 7-20 to 20 range that you talked about, I think it's a no-brainer and something that you guys have talked about, which is Malik Monk. I mean, the guy just is 
you know, basically if you built in a laboratory right now what the Hornets need, I think it's that guy, basically, just a high-volume scoring guard. Um, not the best size, only about 6'3 or so, so that'd be, you know, kind of tough with, um, with Kemba being an undersized guard as well. But I think, you know, you have some flexibility with Batum and MKG being two bigger uh, you know, forwards who can also are can be fashioned as guards, especially Batum. So maybe, you know, if you have a guy like LeBron or Kawhi coming in one night, then you start MKG instead of Malik that night. But for most nights, um, Malik would provide that, you know, two-guard scoring and hopefully that secondary or tertiary option to Batum and Kemba that the Hornets are in just such desperate need of right now. He's a confident shooter, confident player, you know, I'd expect his off-the-dribble game to get a little bit better. I think he, in Kentucky he was off the ball a lot because of De'Aaron Fox, but I think he could become a lot better um, on the ball and off the bounce. But, you know, in that range, I think he's going to be available. It's just a question of where we fall, if we fall in the lottery, and if we're going to have a chance at it because I think that, you know, it's a no-brainer when it comes in that range. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think Malik Monk is the guy. I like the way you put it. You kind of go into a lab and come out with something that Charlotte needs. Uh, he's that he's the guy, um, and I know he's got limitations. Is you know being six three, and I, I think that you know just that that size deficit that he has as a shooting guard. We've talked about this before. I, I really think that's going to shove him down draft boards. You know, I certainly could be wrong, but it's just traditionally that's what happens. These guys go to the combine and and they they measure and if they don't measure, you know, like this this government experiment that they you know whatever position they are, then they're gonna you know they're gonna slide down the draft. So I hope that's the case. I don't know if he's gonna slide to twelve, thirteen, you know, fourteen somewhere around where the Hornets are gonna be, but he's he's the perfect one. He really is, Richie. You've watched a lot of the tournament here. You're. <laughs> You're getting better at watching the college game and, and getting into this draft process, uh, which I know is not your expertise, but you're learning the hard way as a uh, as a Hornets um, <laughs> blogger and podcaster that it, it's a necessity. You have to do it. I know you don't like it, but you're getting better at it now. Is there a guy that you've watched in this tournament that has has made you think otherwise in terms of, okay, here's a guy that Charlie could go after um, th- that's more in their wheelhouse, which which I think we can all agree Monk's probably not. In terms of in our, in our wheelhouse, I, I, I hate to say this, but maybe Justin Jackson from uh, UNC. I think that that's a reasonable pick. Glad, go ahead. I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you brought it up. Keep going. I, I mean, I'm glad we're going to have this conversation. Well, I, I really don't want it because I'm, I'm an ABCer, anyone but Carolina. Uh, my wife's a Carolina fan, and uh, I just give her a hard time as as Carolina plays, and obviously they're going to be playing uh, tomorrow night uh, for the national championship, and I'm I'm rooting uh, secretly for Gonzaga. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I think that he's impressed me so far in terms of what he's been able to do, and obviously throughout the regular season, which I did not watch, uh, he provided some of the same things, you know, off the dribble and also you know off ball as well. So again, he's a he's a veteran, uh, kind of like Kaminsky. He's he's been there for what four years at UNC. And that, that always gives me a little bit of pause in terms of drafting someone uh, that old. I mean, we say old, but, you know, th- you know that old as a rookie. But, you know, I, I could see him fall into uh, the Hornets in, in that range, and I can see that Michael Jordan would just fall in love with him and, and, and draft him at that 12, 12 spot or whatever we may pick at. I mean, I'm with you. I, I think Justin Jackson is 
he's going to be there, and he's going to he's going to be linked to the Hornets. And I mentioned this on Twitter the other night. Just get ready, okay? I, if you're a Carolina guy, you're really happy right now. If you're not, you're you're probably not psyched about this. But he is going to be linked with this team for numerous different reasons. The first reason is it appears he's going to be in that late lottery first round um, area when he gets drafted. Uh, but but really the most important thing is he's just he fits a need for the Hornets and it's what we were just talking about a minute ago with the score a second option uh, a shooter I mean I, I, I'm not sure how much of a creator he is but he's shown some flashes this year um, yeah I mean I would not be shocked at all if Charlotte ends up drafting uh, Justin Jackson Max how much have you seen him of Justin this year and what are your feelings on him as an NBA player? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, all Hornets fans know about uh, our owner's bias toward his alma mater, which, you know, is understandable, but uh, (laughs) it's bitten us in the butt a couple times. But, um, you know, I I think it's it's interesting. It it definitely unlocks some new possibilities in terms of maybe if you get him, um, you know, and he's he's a, a nice fit, then maybe either... MKG or Batum definitely become expendable. Um, now, Batum with that contract, I'm not sure about his trade value as much anymore. But, you know, it's it, I'll throw out a player comp and I'll see if you guys, um, if this rings any bells. Richie, even, even if you haven't watched a ton of college or didn't watch this guy when he was in college, um, you've probably seen him in the league now. He's just got an old man game, Justin Jackson. It's just kind of, you know, slow but effective, and he's just a scorer, just natural scorer. I th- I'd see a lot of T.J. Warren in him. Uh, T.J. Warren was at NC State, and he's just, you know, mid-range, uh, you know, uses his body well, a little bit of post-up, uses his size, and he just he just gets buckets, if, if for lack of a better term. And so that's what T.J. Warren did, and T.J. Warren's transferred that a little bit to, with the Suns. Um, you know, not a 20-a-game scorer, but he's nice, 14-15 a night, pretty efficient. Um, and he knows what he is, and I think that's what Justin Jackson is. He knows what he is, and I don't, I don't project him to make an all-star team, but you know, he could be a, a pro for a decade or longer just because of that fit and comfort and having good measurables. So you know, there could be worse picks for sure. But yeah, I think T.J. Warren, he just reminds me a lot of that guy, you know, in college. And you know, if, if Justin Jackson ends up like T.J. Warren, that wouldn't be the worst thing. Yeah, no, I, I actually kind of like that comp. I, I would say that Jackson's, you know, obviously a much better shooter than Warren. Um, right. But he is, to your point, he is much craftier than you would think he would be offensively. If you just watch that guy, you know, play a game or a few games, you know, you see him running off of all kinds of, you know, pin downs and, and all kinds of screening action, right? So you just think he's kind of your prototypical shooting guard. Uh, but again, to your point, Max, no, he he is more craftier than that. He will post up. Uh, he does have good length, um, and he uses that to his advantage. He also has this like really crafty. I would say his dribble game is not good at all, and I don't think it's going to end up being good in the NBA. But he's a really crafty floater uh, that he's pretty efficient with, and he showed that um, on a few occasions last night. He actually <laughs> he hit the longest floater i think maybe i I, i've ever or deepest floater i think i've ever seen i swear last night on the right corner almost at the baseline he takes one step inside the three-point line lets a floater go from good gosh i don't know 18 feet and it's nothing but net i mean as soon as he let it go i thought man what an awkward shot uh but he you know he's just again he's just a scorer 
You know, and he has a lot of different ways to score the ball that you just wouldn't expect, you know, from a shooting guard who primarily feeds off of pin down screens and, and coming off of baseline action. Um, wouldn't necessarily be really upset with the pick for Charlotte, uh, but it, it was. I'm glad we mentioned it and talked about it because it's inevitable. Uh, they're going to be linked to this guy from Carolina <laughs> before this thing's all said and done. All right, we got another Twitter question we need to get to, and I'm going to throw it to Richie first. Uh, this is from Noah uh, Purser, who's at UNC Dude four one eight, so he's clued in on the Justin Jackson chatter. Uh, he asked, "If you were Rich Show, what is your next move, Richie? What's your next move, Rich Show?" Well, I like the point that Max brought up. If we do draft Justin Jackson, it could make MKG or Batum expendable, and I am all for. And I don't know if it's really a possibility or how you know likely it could be. I'm all for trading Batum. And I know that might come to a surprise for some Hornets fans. And I think the contract is going to be a bit of an issue. But if we can draft someone to replace Batum and then go ahead and trade Batum out to a team that, that could use him, because he, he still does have value in this league, I would, I would be all for it. And I think over the offseason, I think we definitely need to target shooters. But again, we don't have a lot of flexibility. And Max mentioned this in his article as well. There's not a lot of flexibility in terms of cap space with Charlotte, so I'm hoping by trading Batum, you know, getting that contract off our hands, at least down the road, uh, can help us, you know, this year, but also in the years to come. So my, my first thing would be to kind of put Batum's name out in trade talks. That would be my first thing. How likely it is, I'm not sure because of that contract. Mm-hmm. Max, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, you know, like Richie said, there's just not a lot of flexibility, um, you know, we haven't talked about it, but I'm sure you guys have in the past. That Plumley trade really restricted a lot of our uh, flexibility for the summer, getting a couple expirings off of our books and taking on Miles Plumley for $12.5 million through 2020. You know, definitely hurts. And I think we'll have our mid-level exception, you know, heading into, ne- heading into the summer, which is good for about $6.5 million, I think. So if you put that together with uh the sessions team option which i assume they will not renew just because of his injury problems and having weber um you know maybe you're at 12 maybe but i just you know especially with the way the contracts are now and the way the cap booms mostly over but the free agency it just doesn't have a ton of wiggle room um, so i think our best bets to build is is through this draft pick and then um you know maybe leveraging a batum trade or you know mkg or somebody like that uh, just because in free agency we really don't have that great of a uh, that much flexibility, uh, let alone the fact that Charlotte historically at least has not been a primary uh, free agency destination. So it's 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 tough because we're gonna have to tighten the belt. But you know I think the Hornets are trying to get younger, and I think that's a good move definitely. Uh, Kemba's 26, so he's definitely the centerpiece. But um, you know so so making a, a quality pick in this draft. And then seeing if you can get a couple uh, rotation player or two for that for that twelve million or so um, has to be the goal. Just marginally improve because the core is not going anywhere. That's for sure. Yep, exactly. And uh, you know, step one is this draft. We'll see where we end up picking, but I, I think you have to get a guy. Um, you have to get a guy that's seriously part of the future in this draft, whether that's the fifteenth pick and barely out of the lottery. You know, or it you know falls as low as eleven or twelve, whatever. But you gotta, you really have to dig in with it with this 
um, research on these draft prospects, and you, you, you need to nail this pick. The Hornets have not nailed a pick in quite some time um, and have thrown up all over themselves for, for most of the picks that they've had here uh, in the past few years. So it, it's time to hit one on the head. You know, in free agency, Max, you mentioned it. They got the mid-level exception. You know, the mid-level exception's kind of interesting this year. You know, it is worth a little bit more because of the new CBA, you know, the cap spike again. So it's a little unsure as to, you know, how teams will will use this full mid-level exception, which Charlotte has. It's right in that $7 million range, which is, you know, a big increase than what it has been uh, in the past. So... You know, when there's when there's a spike like that and teams have this this extra incentive or this extra money to spend, you know, how it's spent across the league could be a little inconsistent. So there's an opportunity there for Charlotte to get a guy, you know, at a decent price uh, or, or maybe even overpay a little bit for a guy that no one's thinking about. But, you know, there's just some uncertainty there with with the exact number that that mid-level ex- exception is worth and uh, and who will get paid that number. So So that's interesting, I think. But, yep, outside of that, you guys have said it. I mean, there's just no room for Charlotte to, to change. Richie, I do not think that uh, – I mean, I think you're thinking the right way. The Hornets need to move off of Batum's contract if they could possibly. I just don't know who in the world is going to bite at that unless it's a Brooklyn or some other team in the league that just needs salary and is stuck where they are and doesn't have draft picks, Sacramento. I, I don't know. You know, but I, I just don't know who's going to trade for that contract unless they just need, they just need to be paying somebody. But yep, you guys have said it again. I mean, they're they're stuck with this core that they have, and part of me thinks, okay, that's fine. I mean, I think they're they're stuck with a group of guys that can win and have proved um, that they can have success. The other part of me thinks, man, you look back at the last few summers and say, why? Why did you, you know, why did you tie yourself into all this? But Every move I would say the Hornets have made uh, over the past few summers makes some sense. Uh, in hindsight, it's obviously always twenty twenty. So let me quickly throw yeah. out a name out there for you guys. Well, first off, the Miles the Miles Plumley trade is, is going to really turn out to be a bad trade. I mean, obviously he kind of fits our style, uh, but that twelve point five million a year for the next several years is just going to tie us up, and he's not really offering anything to us on the court. I mean, he's been injured, obviously, for a good chunk of his time uh, with Charlotte. But anyway, free agency, I don't know if it's viable, but this person would fill a need in terms of lights-out shooting from three. He's a free agent. He is on the tail end of his career, and I know that we're trying to get younger, but he has a history with Clifford. He's played five seasons underneath you know, Clifford when he was an assistant with the Magic. What if we try to target J.J. Redick? And I know that he's at the tail end of his career, but I think he would fit a need for us. And defensively, he doesn't get enough credit. He's not this you know star defensive player, but he's very underrated on that end too. So just a name. I don't know if it's viable with the money and all, uh, but I would love to see us kind of target him as well. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's a name that's going to be on the watch list for everyone because everyone's very uncertain as, as to what's going to happen with the Clippers. We'll see how they do in the playoffs. It feels like that may uh, be ready to break up completely out there, but but it's a name to watch. Look, free agency, it, it'll be something this summer. I think it's, there's a lot of uncertainty flying around for a lot of different teams. But uh, look, Max, we really appreciate you coming on. We have got to wrap up here in a second, uh, but real quickly, I want to give you the opportunity again. Tell folks where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find your content online. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hoopshabit.com. I cover the Hornets and the Thunder, and then 16 Wins a Ring. I cover 
just the Hornets. You can follow me on Twitter at Max A. Seng. That's Max A-S-E-N-G. And I post all my stuff there. Very active. Love chatting with people about the Hornets, Thunder, NBA in general. So hit me up for sure. Throw me a follow. I'll follow back. Um, just love talking about the NBA. And I appreciate you guys having me on. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on, man. We will definitely have you back on here in the future. Please go make sure you check out all Max's stuff. He's got some really, really good stuff out there. And that that article we were referencing earlier uh, about the crunch time struggles for the Hornets, it's excellent. So go read that over at 16winsaring.com. Richie, tell the folks where they can take us on the go and find us, where they can find us everywhere. Yeah, as always, you're able to listen to us on the computer or in the car. Visit queencityhoops.com for all of our content, written and podcast as well. But if you want to listen to it on the go, search BuzzBeat through your podcast app or download the Stitcher app as well. And we would truly appreciate any ratings, reviews, feedback as well on the podcast so we can continue to improve this. And I would also go ahead and download that Dash radio app as well and be on the lookout for Almighty Baller radio station to be launching real soon. We wanted to thank everyone for listening to this episode and the continued support. And we'll see you guys next time. All right, guys. Thanks for cluing in and, uh, and listening. We're not dead yet. Season's still alive. We get a little luck with the Bulls losing, the Heat losing, and the Pacers losing tonight. Horns could be one game back. So we appreciate all the listens. Make sure you're checking out AlmightyBaller.com, which we are a member of that podcast network. Go Hornets. See you next time.